Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. This will be for Exodus chapter 21. Now, we've had the Ten Commandments in the previous chapter, and we'll go on from there. Verse 1. Now, these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Slaves will have their freedom after six years of servitude. Does that seem right to you that there's even slaves in the first place? I know that anciently, if you had a debt that you couldn't pay, that you would uh, sell your children into servitude to pay off the debt. Somehow that just doesn't seem right, but that's what they did anciently. Anyway, I'm just wondering. All right, verse 3. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have give him a wife, given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free... Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to his door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Because of the guidelines of the law, the lot of Hebrew slaves was greatly softened. In fact, they they were on almost equal status with hired laborers. Under such conditions, some men were willing to forfeit freedom for security, especially if they were mar- if they had married while in slavery, and release from slavery might force them to give up their wives and children. In this case, the master was to take his servant, i.e., to uh, to God, i.e., to the place where judgment was given in the same in the name of God, in order that he might make a declaration there that he gave up his liberty. His ear was then to be bored with an awl against the door or lintel of the house. And by this sign, which was customary in many of the nations of antiquity, to be fastened, as it were, to the house forever. This was the meaning of the, of the piercing of the ear against the door of the house, is evident from the unusual expression in Deuteronomy 15, and put the all into his ear and into the door, that he may be thy servant forever, where the ear and the door are co-ordinance. Verse 7, And if a man sell his daughter to be a, ma- a maidservant, she shall not go out as the ma- men servants do. Here is the first example in the, in, of the case law appro- approach to the Mosaic law. The principle is, thou shalt not steal. One of the most precious things any man has is his personal liberty. To steal one's liberty is a serious theft, so permanent ownership of slaves was not allowed unless the individual himself chose to be a slave for life. As illustrated here, the slave in Israel was really more like a servant. By law, he had to be freed after seven years unless he voluntarily chose to remain in servitude. Although a father could arrange for the marriage of his daughter, that is the meaning of the phrase to sell her as a maidservant, in verse 7, as is evident from the betrothal mentioned in verse 8 and 9, she too maintained certain rights. So here we talk about the, the girl or the daughter being, being sold as a wife. The prospective husband could not use her as a slave. She shall not go out as the men servants do. If the prospective husband was not pleased with with the new bride, the law guaranteed her rights. This legal guarantee was in sharp contrast to the practice of most other people whose women were viewed as property to be bargained away at the at the whim of men. 
That was out of the Institute Manual. Verse 8, If she please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed, not to sell her unto a strange nation. He shall have no power to do this, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall not shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free without money. The judgments next communicated to Moses determine first the civil and social position of all in Israel relative to relatively to each other, and then their religious position relatively to the Lord. The divine legislation begins as as assuredly none other ever did, not at the not at the topmost, but at the lowest rung of society. It declares in the first place the personal rights of such individuals as are in a state of dependence. Male and female slaves, this is done not only with a, a sacred regard for the rights of the person, but with a delicacy, kindness, and strictness beyond any code ever framed on this subject. If slavery was still tolerated as a thing existent, its real principle, that of making men chattels and property, was struck at the root, and the institution became by its safeguards and provisions quite other from what it has been among any nation, whether ancient or modern. That was by Edersheim. Verse 12, He that smiteth a man so that he die, shall he shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him in, into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whether he shall flee. And these are called sanctuary cities. There were two cities that were designated as sanctuary cities. Remember when uh, Nephi kills Laban, that he was that Laban was delivered into his hands, and that he he fled out of the out of Jerusalem, um, and went and we think he went. To, they probably went to a place where he could be, a, where it could be a sanctuary city. Verse fourteen. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And if men strive together, and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. In other words, compensate for the loss. Verse 20, And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely put to death. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two and recover, he shall not be put to death, for he is his servant. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Many people think that the essence of the law of Moses is this verse, the law had more to do with restitution than retaliation. Burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go, free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push... With his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, 
but hath but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. In other words, if the ox is killed before and kills again, the owner will be killed. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to his judge, this judgment shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Then follow judgments guarding life with crimes against which the, man, the maltreatment and the cursing of parents and man-stealing are put on a level. It is the sanctity of life in itself, in its origin, and in its free possession, which is here in question. And the punishment awarded to such crimes is neither intended as warning nor as correction, but strictly as punishment, that is, as retribution from the protection of life. The law passes to that of the body against all injuries, whether by man or by beast. The principle here is so far as possible compensation coupled with punishment and grave offenses. That was by Edersheim. Verse 33, And if a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it, and an ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good, and give money unto the owner of them, and the dead beast shall be his. And if a man's ox, and if one man's ox hurt another's, that he die, then shall... Then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it, and the dead ox also shall they divide. Or if it be known that the ox hath used hath used to push in time past, and his owner hath not kept him in, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead shall be his own. <clears throat> so case laws. Further clarification of the commandments or fundamental principles is given by these specific laws. There is a difference between premeditated murder and accidental death or manslaughter, as it is called today. God deliver him into his hand is an idiom which means that the individual did not actively seek the death of the individual. This case is a further clarification of thou shalt not kill. Certain crimes were so serious that they required the death penalty. This fact clearly shows, first, the seriousness of murder, and second, that the death penalty, when carried out by legally constituted authority, is not a, vi a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Capital crimes listed here included premeditated murder, attempted murder of one's parents, the verb translated as smiteth cometh from the verb meaning to strike deep so as to wound or kill, kidnapping, cursing one's parents. Here again the word, the Hebrew word is very strong, meaning to revile or to utter violent reproaches. Killing a servant, the Joseph Smith translation changes verse 20 to read, if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Blatant neglect in the use of one's property. Other capital crimes were listed elsewhere in the law. The seriousness of abortion is taught in the case law, example given here, verses 30, 22 to 25. If two men are fighting and strike a pregnant woman, causing her to miscarry, punishment is given. If mischief follow, a Hebrew idiom for death, then the offending party was punished by death. One Bible scholar suggested that the case law approach illustrates the extent of the law's application, and this case provides an, exa an excellent example of this concept. If an abortion caused by an accident was to be punished severely, one can assume that deliberate abortion without justifiable cause was far more serious. As an expansion on the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal, several cases of just retribution are listed here and in Exodus 22. Again, the cases illustrate the breadth of the law. One can steal from another by direct theft, but one can also steal through negligence or accident. 
Thus, if one steals physical wholeness from another, restitution has to be made. If one through neglect causes that the loss of another's property, restitution has to be made. The law of Moses is therefore not a law of re- retaliation, but a law of reparation. Abinadi said that the law was a very strict law of performances and of ordinances, given because Israel was a stiff-necked people. In the law of Christ, a general principle such as whatsoever ye would that men do, should do to you, do ye even so to them, covered situations similar to those mentioned in Exodus 21. But in the higher law of the gospel, specific additional commandments were not required. Under the law of Christ, a person does, does not have to be told to guard against negligence or to make restitution for accidental loss. He will do it because he loves his neighbor. The law of Moses specified how the law was lived in daily practical situations, but it still taught the law of Christ. That was out of the Institute Manual. Anyway, that's the end of chapter uh, 21, and we'll see you next time. Bye.